to Leitner. Puts it up. You're listening to the Culture State Podcast. Get ready. Welcome to another episode of the Culture State Podcast. I am Chris Lee. That is my man. Dennis Cox here. Now, real quick, Chris, before we get started, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Papa Murphy's Pizza. Mm -hmm. Did you know, Chris, every Tuesday, you can get a large Papa Murphy's Pizza anytime for $10.99. You mean every Tuesday, the day before a new Culture State podcast episode comes out. So what you're saying is you can go to Papa Murphy's, get a nice pizza, pop it in your oven, celebrate by watching something because college basketball is coming back, right? So you can watch that on a Tuesday and then just stay up and listen to the Culture State podcast at midnight. Yeah, you could do that. Or eat some cold pizza the next morning as you drive to work. Listen to Culture State. 100% all for it. So Papa Murphy's, change the way you pizza. Give him a follow on Twitter and Instagram, at Papa Murphy's. Again, change the way you pizza. That's definitely changing the way you pizza for sure right there because you're looking forward to some great basketball, which I'm looking forward to because we have a new college basketball season. It is upon us. And uh, one of the things I like about this season even though the the pandemic is still a backdrop yeah uh for what's happening it's completely different than the last two years so you know two two seasons ago you know we you just don't think about it there's no idea of a pandemic or whatever coming about all of a sudden it comes you think that okay we'll still be able to finish the season and you know we'll we'll figure out what's going to happen afterwards but no it gets completely cut off and there is no ending there is no real acc champion there is no real ncaa champion because everything stopped. Yeah, and just then stopped. this, and then last season, um, teams that are normally good weren't good, and and you saw that what their superpower is, what Duke's superpower is, is Coach K can get those guys in in June and start working with them early. So by the time November rolls around, they are already a well-oiled machine mm-hmm. in that Coach K system, and they're out there, and his superpower is taken away. Uh, NC State, really good. Two COVID pauses. Um, you know, they had a chance to be amazing. I mean, they, they uh, you know, beat Carolina, um, you know, really like handedly too, you know, in their first matchup of the season. And it was just just a weird year last year. Yeah, it was kind of awkward uh, or a little bit more than kind of awkward. I, I was actually thinking back to the last college basketball game I attended. Chris, and you were actually there. I think we actually may have crossed paths. It was the Duke Carolina game in 2020, just before the NCAA tournament. It was at Cameron Indoor. You had just started at WREL. We didn't know each other back then. But that was the last college basketball game I've been to was that one. And to think that a week later, it just all stopped. It was so weird. It was awkward. It 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 was hard actually watching games and empty arenas and stuff. I mean, I feel bad for the, for a lot of these players because again, if you were basically, if you're a junior now in college, you still haven't really truly had a full season where you had the full experience with fans and everything because conference tournaments got all canceled. The NCAA tournament was canceled in 2020. Last year you're playing in, in partially filled arenas. You just didn't have, what that college experience you expect and what everyone that else makes, has experienced. It, it, it's a big thing. Yes. Yeah, I'm sorry for getting you off, but it, it made me fine. think about uh, Armando Baycott from Carolina. And yeah. it made me think about Wendell Moore uh, from, from Duke. You know, mm-hmm. those guys are both juniors this season. 
Um, yeah. Both of them, you know, first off, Armando was on a team that had a lot of injuries his freshman year yeah. and had a down year for Carolina standards, 14 and 19, right? Um, and then you're, you're thinking, okay, we're going to get back and next year is going to be year. But then now it's COVID. And then you didn't know that you were walking into the last year of Roy Williams, um, you know, coaching. And then the changes in college basketball are coming, which is, you know, probably one of the reasons why he's, uh, you know, decided to retire. And then, um, you know, for Wendell Moore, you're coming after, you know, Zion and RJ Barrett and Cam Reddish. And this team was expected to go all the way. And they didn't. And now you're coming into a, a year where Trey Jones decided uh, to stay back. Your your freshman class doesn't have the same, I guess, excitement that Zion and R.J. Barrett and everything had. Star power. We'll say star power. <clears throat> star power. Yeah. There's a few disappointments on the year, but you guys start really gelling at the end of the year. And especially in that last, uh, you, you think about the way they won at Carolina. <laughs> like yeah. to go to overtime and just the way it happened and for them to be down most of the game. And then um, last, and then you go to that last game against Carolina that you were referenced where they beat Carolina. I wouldn't say easily, but they, they pretty much, they easily beat Carolina. Yeah. And now you're looking at it like, Oh, Trey Jones is back. This is why he's back. We can make a run in the tournament for the tournament to never even happen. Yeah. And now as a, as a window more, you're coming back <clears throat> to try to, um, rectify that the year after you're one of the leaders and you don't get a chance to meet your teammates until August. And, you know, you guys are struggling. And then all of a sudden, you know, you start getting hot at the end of the season at the right time at the ACC tournament, you need to win to get in the whole team gets COVID. Yeah. It's just, it's just, uh, it's so crazy. So you're right. Like you, you feel bad for the juniors who didn't have that chance. Same thing for NC state. You remember, they were in a position to where if they ran through the NCAA, the ACC tournament back in 2020, um, that year that you referenced where we, uh, you know, first crossed paths, uh, if they could have beaten Duke because that was their next game at the ACC tournament. Yeah. Maybe they get into the NCAA tournament themselves. Mm-hmm. That they didn't even get the chance. And then last year, all the COVID pauses and things like that. So somebody like Manny Bates hasn't had a real chance to – even try to make the NCAA tournament as a player. Yeah, I've been thinking of myself as as a coach to help coach at Meredith College with the lacrosse team there. And I just think about even our juniors, how they haven't even had a full experience quite yet because mm. their freshman season got cut off in the middle of March. Um, last season, there were a lot of restrictions, so we weren't able to do the overnights, because that's where you do a lot of team bonding is traveling on the bus, staying overnight in a hotel. That's where a lot of team bonding comes from. We were only able to do that twice. And even with the NCAA tournament and stuff, and there was restrictions on, on fans and attendance at games and things like that too. So sometimes families couldn't attend. We just weren't able to do everything that we're used to normally doing. And this was just across the board. So even I think about our juniors that I coach now still haven't had that full experience like they're used to where they have all their friends and family at games for a whole season. It's just, it's, it's hard. Um, It really is hard. I really do feel bad for them because I, I witnessed that firsthand with them and it's just, it's hard for them to navigate. And you know, this as a coach, you're, you're looking towards your juniors 
to set that example for the freshmen and sophomores uh, as the ones like, hey, this is what we're supposed to do. And, you know, you're tell them what it's like to be there. But when the juniors don't know what it's like to be there, how can they let the freshmen and sophomores know what it's like to be there? And even our seniors only got to experience it one time as freshmen. That's it. And that's a completely different experience. So they didn't even get to have the multiple years of experience to to sit there and tell the freshmen, hey, this is this is our this is what to expect. This is what you need to know because I've we've been there multiple times. So yeah, it's it's not easy. It really is not easy. Um it's and not. it's it's just not yeah. that fun in many ways. It really isn't. Um so yeah props to the teams that do that again the players that that handle it properly and do things well and do things right off the court to to ensure that they still get to play. Well, that's something that Scott Wood didn't have to worry about. He's our guest oh. for today's show uh, on the Culture State podcast. He played, you may remember, of course, when he was there from 2009 to 2013 at yeah. NC State. Uh, he was just that guy who was just a three-point shooter, man. Like, he was yeah. just amazing with it. And he was just that specialist. And um, NC State could pretty much count on him for a big-time three-point bucket. Uh, so, you know, he made a lot of people – um upset with him <laughs> when he'd make his three-point shots so yep. he'll he'll be um joining us today for this show he wrapped up um a, a professional career uh recently doing his thing living in raleigh north carolina um and uh also goes back to you know talk talk to the nc state basketball team um so i know he's ready for this year to see what they're going to do under kevin keats as well well, let's talk to the man, Scott Wood, coming up after this. All right, it's another episode of the Culture State Podcast, and this time we uh, wanted to have some Wolfpack representation. Uh, former Wolfpack star, three-point specialist, all-around good guy, Scott Wood is joining us uh, right now for the show. And, uh, Scott, I want to, uh, first off, thank you for for taking some time out to, to join us for the show today. But uh, but let's let's talk about the team uh, this year, I saw that you had some time to, you know, spin around the team and uh, coach Kevin Keats had you uh, there in the facility amongst the team. What do you see uh, from this year's Wolfpack uh, men's basketball team? Um, you know, it's it's going to be it's going to be an interesting year. I think they got a lot of pieces there. Um, obviously, and uh, in, in some preseason polls, they, they I think I've seen ninth and tenth. So uh, there's definitely a chip on their shoulder. They've added a lot of good pieces. Uh Marcel from Virginia is a really good piece. They've added three freshmen. Cravion Smith, I think, is going to be a guy that really surprises some people. He's really starting to pick up on uh, the things they're trying to do. Uh, obviously, I think it's going to it's going to take time because there is a lot of new th- new things coming in, a lot of new pieces. Obviously, uh, I think Manny, uh, Jericho, uh, and Cam are going to have to play at a, a, a ACC all ACC level for them to really creep up into the top of the ACC this year. But, you know, I, I enjoyed watching them. The one thing that you, you know you're going to get out of them, they're going to play great defense and they're going to play really hard. So uh, if they can find a way to put the ball in the basket and put some pressure on some teams, uh, they got a chance to be really successful this year. Now, from having graduated nearly a decade ago, where what have you seen now – in terms of the changes from where things were maybe right after you had graduated, in terms of the program there at State. You didn't have to say it like a decade ago. I mean, hey, I graduated you feel really old now. It's okay. <laughs> I wanted to you. It's fine. It's okay. Um, but the, the main thing, and I've said it the whole time, it's just it's gone more. When I was when I was playing, you you had a lot of, you know, 
more, I, I call it sets, uh, you know, the flex offense where it's continuous offense. So, uh, you know, motion offense where you're continuously moving. Like we ran a UCLA offense where we would get to what we called uh, a triangle, which is basically two guys on the block guy at the free throw line and the ball would just move on the outside and then we just keep setting down screens. So you always had something moving. And now, and I think even with, with Coach Keats' system now, is it's it's a lot more uh, pick and roll dominated. And this is not just Coach Keats' system. This is just the game in general. Since I've left, it is now, you know, integrated into more an isolation basketball. It's like, let's find the worst defender and find our best guy on offense and try and get it to them. Which, and I, it, it looks really good, but it's also, it's very tough at, some of those good levels because even the bad defender is going to be, you know, an athlete that can, you know, play well. So obviously I'm still a big fan of, you know, those motion offenses. Uh, obviously I love coming off screens and things like that, but at the same time, you got to use your studs and your workhorses. And, and if you can find those mismatches, you got to take care of, take advantage of them. So that's one of the main things that <clears throat> since I've left, I've really seen is that pick and roll uh, and obviously a little bit more isolation. With with the Wolfpack, I think the one thing that uh, concerns me this year, which is which was kind of a concern the last couple of years, is that Manny really is the only uh, person who's going to be there to protect the paint, and you know it, it's it's going to be very uh, perimeter oriented for them. But they have the guards to throw at you pretty much all day, and and of course getting Casey Morsell from Virginia, he's used to playing uh, defense, so the defense is definitely going to be there. Uh, Cam Hayes picked up like 10 pounds of muscle. He looks big and just strong right now. Yeah. Um, but if Manny Bates goes down, I'm, I'm just kind of worried about uh, what they're going to do um, from, from the paint, uh, you know, and, and, and honestly, I'm just wondering if you think that that is something that could maybe hinder them this year. If uh, Manny Bates isn't ready to go for a few games. Uh, <clears throat> I guarantee you, even if it wasn't me on here right now and it was coach Keith sitting in front of you, he would, <laughs> hundred percent tell you if something happens to Manny, we'll have trouble. Obviously they got two guys there that um, I'm, I call it a little bit raw. Um, you know, they're, they're still learning the game. They're still trying to develop their game, but at the end of the day, they are getting better. They are, you know, they're slowly getting there each and every day. And I know because uh, Manny is such a pivotal piece that, you know, they've limited him. So he didn't play in the, the preseason game, the exhibition game uh, practices. They're trying to keep, you know, a little bit of uh, what they call load management, a little bit of load management on him just because they know how pivotal pivotal of a piece he is. So uh, I, I keep telling everybody at all costs, we got to keep this man. If we got to, if we got to <laughs> surround him by pillows, we got to surround yeah. him by pillows. But at the end of the day, they're still going to need a, a backup at that position. You can't expect him to give you 40 minutes every night. So those guys behind them, they got to, they got to continue to develop, continue to get better so they can give him a little bit of support because obviously you know, as you saw last year with Devin and 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 a lot of teams is all it takes for one guy to go down and you got to be able to have something in place that you can kind of maintain that. Obviously, if Manny goes down, we don't have a, another Manny Bates, but you need to have something there where you can kind of maintain and guys can step up. Now, you grew up in Indiana, which is known as a, a, a basketball state. Basketball is very big in the state of Indiana, but you played obviously college basketball here in North Carolina. I just got to ask, what makes North Carolina so superior and far better in basketball? than? <laughs> well, I tell everybody. So it, it was really, it was a really simple process for me because, um, so I call Indiana the Mecca of high school basketball. Like my gym holds uh, north of 7,000 seats. So, I mean, we pretty right, much wow. uh, back in my heyday, we would pretty much fill it out. 
uh, and I think the average of my whole conference was almost 6,500. So it's, it's a completely different thing over there. It's like Texas football, you know, mm-hmm. Pennsylvania football, some of those states that it's just, it's, it's literally like playing a, you know, division two, three, even, uh, you know, uh, school. So the way I looked at it was I was, I was transitioning to the ACC and tobacco road, which to me is the Mecca of college basketball, you know, all, I mean, I don't want to knock all the other conferences, but um, I mean, when I think of ACC, I think of basketball. I mean, you know, maybe a little bit of the Big East that, but I mean, the Big East isn't the Big East when I was growing up anymore. Uh, So that's one of the things that I I really wanted to do. I wanted to, you know, I I prepared myself all through high school playing against really, really, really good competition from top to bottom. uh, And I wanted to be able to show that I could do it at you know, the next levels, and to me, uh, the mecca of college basketball is in the ACC. So that's what the opportunity that I wanted. So, uh, but I will say, man, high school basketball, yeah, there's, there, there's nothing like it. Uh, and I was, I was one of the lucky ones that was able to experience that and come to the ACC. Uh, while you were uh, playing in the ACC, you had a chance to play against Coach K and Roy Williams. And it's kind of like one of those things where when you think about college basketball, and ACC in general, you think about Duke and North Carolina, and mm-hmm. this almost a given. Now Roy Williams isn't there. Coach K is on his, uh, you know, last year uh, at Duke. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on just that? And just how different the conference will look with just those two coaches not being there uh, on the sidelines after this year is over? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be completely different. I mean, those are two legends that have, you know, single-handedly uh you know been in a program for longevity they've won championships they've brought acc championships there and i don't care what team you are in the acc every single night you play them you want to bring your best and that's just how it is even if they're having a down year you want to bring the best against a carolina and a duke um you know i played golf the other day with a with a carolina fan and they're like oh i'm a little worried about the change this and that and i'm like listen at the end of the day it's still carolina they're still going to get recruits because of their name yeah obviously coach davis is going to have to you know implement his style because it's not going to be the same as Roy. Uh, but it's still Carolina. It's it's not like this thing's going to, you know, be trash just the next day. They, they've completely built a legacy there that's going to be in place for regardless of who comes in and steps in as the next coach to last for, you know, five, ten more years. So um, I'd imagine Shire and and, and Coach uh, Davis, they're, they're going to do the same thing. You know, they – They've been around both of those coaches for so long. Uh, you know, they understand the things that worked for uh, Coach K and Coach Williams, and then they're just going to implement all those good things and, and add a few things of their their own to put their own spin on it. What What were some of your favorite memories of playing against UNC and Duke while you're at state? Well, my memories versus UNC weren't as good because I did not um, <laughs> I did not uh, win as many games. Uh, I, I I tell everybody the thorn in my side is Carolina. They just there's something about Carolina that I just could not get over that hump. Mm-hmm. Um, but Duke, I think I played at 500 or just over 500 for my. I might have been at 500 um, for my career against Duke. So we we played them really well. We beat them one time. Obviously Ryan Kelly I think was out or somebody was out for one of the games. We beat them my sophomore year when they were number one in the nation. I want to believe that that's the year that they won the national championship. Uh, but I mean, it's just, it's just, it is what it is. I mean, there's just the two biggest teams. When I think of college basketball, you, you can't say, you know, North Carolina and Duke and leave them out. You know, that's just, it's just two of those teams that, you know, you're always going to remember each game you played, each game you beat them, the atmospheres, whether it was at 
RBC when I was there. Now it's PNC or, or Cameron uh, or the Dean Dome. I mean, you're, you're always going to remember that. So that's one of those things that I was lucky enough to be able to, you know, go toe-to-toe with some of the great ones that were there and, you know, be able to play against the Coach K's and the Coach Williams. I want to ask you this from the NC State perspective because I know as far as, like, the rivalries are concerned, you know, the players aren't as deep into it as the fans. It's really the fans that kind of fuel that. And, yeah. you know, you guys probably hang out, hoop and stuff, and it's, and it's all good. But when you know that the Carolina game is coming up or you know that the Duke game is coming up, it always felt to me that um, from an NC State perspective, there's been no pressure against Duke. It's another one of the it's another ACC game. It's Duke. So you're going to bring your best. But against Carolina, that's the old rivalry. That's the one where the students, you know, all day are probably talking about, you know, when you're in class and things like that. Did you from from an NC State player perspective, did you feel more pressure during those games? So I didn't. But I will also tell you this. The one thing that I've kind of learned over the years, um, especially while I was playing, NC State is a better matchup against Duke. for the logic in that they carry a more traditional big. I feel like, especially during the years I was playing there, I had CJ Leslie and Richard Howe as, as my big. So I had two absolutely mobile big men. So when they have that, you know, a traditional big on that and you're starting, you know, to get them involved in a lot of screens. Now that forces, you know, some seven footers and some slower guys to get into those situations. And I feel like you're able to take advantage of it. Mm. So like, for example, you know, the Ed Davis is the, um, uh, John Henson's, you got six eleven guys that are athletes and can move just like Richard and CJ. So you don't really get that advantage anymore. Um, but it is, I, I tell everybody, I, I mean, Reggie Bullock's a good friend of mine, Mason Plumlee. I grew up, uh, you know, playing basketball with when he was in Indiana, my entire life on the same AU team when we're eight years old. It, it's just different. Um, it, you are, you're boys with them. But the fans, that there's just that absolute hate. And that's all you hear about, the the, 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 the students, everybody. I mean, there's just yeah. that hate. And I I like all of those guys. You know, I, it's like you said, in the summertime, we're playing pickups, you know. You know, we're talking some trash. But the one thing as a competitor is as soon as you step on that court, uh, I don't care if my sister, my wife, you know, my daughter's on Duke of Carolina. I'm trying to kill them. That's just, I mean, that's just the facts of the matter. You know, after the game, you know, I'm going to shake their hand and be like, man, that was a good one. You know, I'll see you, you know, in two, three weeks. Go go hang out, do something. But as soon as you're, you know, the game is, is started, it, it doesn't matter if it's your best friend or anybody. It's, it's just competition. Uh, you want to win. Uh, but, but my hatred towards them or my, you know, rivalry, I, I wouldn't say, you know, outside basketball that it's that intense as some of the fans. <laughs> Which fan base did you receive the most, I guess, vitriol from? Well, uh, it's definitely Carolina for the fact that I, I had some famous quotes because um, I, just, I just couldn't get over the hump and I just got tired of answering the dang questions about, you know, when are you going to beat Carolina? When are you going to – so, I, you know, I got, I got a little flustered and had some famous quotes, and I mean Carolina fans were – because this is back when social media was just like – you know, yeah. I just had had a Twitter, and I don't even think Instagram, I had an Instagram then. But all of a sudden, you start reading, you're like, oh, you said this and that. And it's so Caroline is definitely one of those that was, I mean, they wanted to give it to you. Um, I mean, I, obviously, Duke, you know, you get in that gym, and they're, they got the little finger things on you when you're on the <laughs> sideline. But that that stuff never really bothered me. But the Carolina fans, and uh, they, they, they would definitely get after you, and they, they, they were out for blood, that's for sure. 
putting on your your basketball analyst hat with you know I know that um, coach uh, Hubert Davis has said he wants to use more spacing they don't have the two bigs now clogging up the middle and I thought that that was always one of the things where Carolina always has so much size um, bigger than Duke and bigger than NC State for sure mm-hmm. um, and they were able to get so many different rebounds now it's really going to be on Armando Baycott and if if it's not him, then it's going to be a lot of different just athletes out there. Do you think that poses a better matchup for NC State this year uh, because of that? And it's, it'll be pretty much Manny versus Armando. Everybody else are just, you know, pretty much same size athletes. Yeah, I, I think it will. And I think also uh, uh, the last couple of years, I think Coach Keith has played them really well because of the fact mm-hmm. that they did have two bigs out there. And you could get that massive matchup problem with, you know, Jericho or someone like that who's playing the four because, you know, it, it causes a problem. But on the flip side of it, you know, uh, it's a little bit more difficult to get rebounds on the other end because, you know, you got a 6'10 and a 7-footer down there, you know, getting some getting some rebounds. So it kind of goes hand-in-hand. But I do think with uh, Baycott now being the sole big, and obviously I think he he moves his feet pretty good. Um, and I think Manny's also one of those. He's pr- he probably falls more in the traditional uh, – big uh, you know trying to sit in the paint a little bit more block a few more shots but again it, it, it's that you know being able to find that mismatch and i think that if you can get you know cam hayes on a baycott on a, on a high pick and roll which is a lot of action they run uh you can obviously try to exploit that you know mismatch scott i want to ask you about your professional career you've played in a lot of different places mm-hmm. uh, what were some of the places like overseas that you may have enjoyed or have been like, I got to get out of here. <laughs> what were some of those places like uh, playing professionally for you? Yeah. You know, I was one of the fortunate ones that I didn't hit too many places where I was like, I, I, I got to get out of this place. I, I was really lucky. I had a really good agent that really looked out for me. Uh, I ended up being in Spain for, for four years. I really enjoyed my time there. Obviously uh, the culture shock of, of first getting over there really hits you. And then, you know, after my second year in Spain, I started to pick up on the language a little bit. So I was a little bit more comfortable going out, ordering, you know, dinner and things like that. Um, I was a year in France, which France was was just fine. The only thing I had an issue with France was the weather was just crummy. I feel like I got uh, I, I just I, I probably went 30 days without seeing the sun. So it, that that part of it got a little bit miserable after a while. But uh, the coach was fortunate enough after every game, he'd give us two off days. So we would just drive to Paris or something and 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 just enjoy ourselves. So uh, Turkey was absolutely gorgeous. It was one of those places that I, I didn't know a lot about. As soon as I got there, we were right on the coast. The people were so friendly. Uh, uh, I mean, I couldn't have asked for a better place there. So, I mean, I was, I was one of the lucky ones. I, I got a lot of buddies of mine that get over there and they just – they just chase the checks. So they're willing to go to some places that, you know, they don't necessarily want to live or it's going to be a little uncomfortable because they're getting, you know, a check. But I was in a, a good spot with my agency that, you know, they really looked into living because my first two years I was alone. Then my wife came over. So, I mean, I've got somebody else there. So I can't I can't just drag her in the middle of nowhere and expect her mm-hmm. to be OK with it. So uh, we did. We had some really good spots. I really enjoyed Spain. Turkey's one of those that I really enjoyed. And, you know eight and a half years overseas is, is a long time. And I'm, I'm glad to kind of settle in and be able to hang back, back in the States a little bit more. I've got to ask you about, before we uh, let you go, the, the basketball tournament tournament TVT yeah. and this year, uh, the Wolf blood, um, you know, team that was there, which had all the NC state uh, alum kind of coming together. Um, so this is going to be kind of like a, a layered question. So first off, what was it like playing with, 
folks that you played with or different, you know, uh, folks that you didn't get a chance to play with who yeah. are also uh nc state uh former nc state basketball stars but then also i want to know uh what you think the future of wolf blood will be for the tbt and what are your thoughts on the elam ending so <clears throat> first off it it was highly enjoyable for me because i, I tell everybody like uh everybody thinks being a professional basketball player is is is, is great and all but it also changes your perspective on the game. You know, you're playing for, you are, you're playing for a check now. It's your job. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there, there's a lot more pressure on you on, on that aspect. So being able to get back with guys that, you know, I've competed with, the C.J. Williams, uh, you know, the Trevor Lacey's. And then you've got a whole different generation that, you know, I didn't play with. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was around when I came home as a professional to work out with, to play pickup with was a lot of fun because, you know, obviously there's a, a million dollar take all winning, but at the same time, we're all, you know, we're playing for NC state, you know, we've all worn the Jersey, you know, Duke calls it a brotherhood. It's, it's literally like a family, you know? So being able to be with them, it, it really did. It brought a lot of enjoyment to me because after, you know, the last few years of playing professional basketball, it starts to wear on you. You, you start to not enjoy the game as much, but being able to, you know, suit up with guys that, you know, have your back, uh, was a lot of fun. <clears throat> and then the second question, that was about the future of the Wolf Bet, TBT, right? About yeah. Wolf Blood. Yeah. So the future is, is going to be good because we had a lot of guys, you know, obviously Lorenzo Brown didn't play. Cat uh, Barber could not play because he ended up signing a deal in Canada. Um, there were a few guys that um, we did. We anticipated them playing, but it kind of depended on a few things. Uh, so there's going to be, you know, three or four guys that I really think will help. Richard Howe comes to mind. Richard uh, had a meniscus tear, so we expected him to play. Um, and he just he just wasn't back in time. And I think there's a lot of pieces that are really going to help. Obviously, that'll put Trevor off the ball a little bit more so he doesn't have to bring the ball up and he can be a little bit more of a scorer than a facilitator. So, I mean, honestly, the future is really bright. I don't know. I don't know what it'll look like for me. Not I haven't, you know touch the ball in, in, in a little bit of time. So I, I, I might be more of the, uh, you gotta the do is coaching put up threes. aspect uh, <laughs> of it than, uh, than, the, than the shooting and playing. But, you know, I really do. I expect a lot of guys that saw us play that kind of fire them up and really want to play for the for the following year. And I think that'll be big for us because, I mean, Miami ended up going to the lead eight. I mean, it, they weren't no slouch. I mean, they were a good team. So, uh, the, and then the third part, the Elam ending, I do really enjoy because it, it forces you not to hold the ball. Yeah. You know, and that was my thing. After watching it, you get in games, if you just have a clock with five minutes and you're up, you know, 12, now all of a sudden they're just going to be conservative. You know, they're just going to kind of move the ball around. Now it forces you, you got to go get your points. You got to get to this number. And we actually, I think we were like down, I want to say 10 maybe when it started, the Elam ending started. And we ended up cutting it to, I think, like six or, or five. And again, it puts pressure all on the team that mm -hmm. was up because all they got to do is get the eight. What is it, eight or eleven? I can't remember. It's, it's one was, of those. Yeah. Yeah, I want to say I want to yeah. say it's eight. Um, so that puts pressure on them now because yeah. like, oh, we're, we're really going to blow what's technically. I mean, we're only down ten, but it's a, technically an eighteen point lead because all you got to do is get those eight points. So mm -hmm. it is. It's very unique. I know a lot of people that I that I talked with that watched were like, I really do like that ending. I think it's something that's unique. It's different. Uh, obviously, I don't know if it'll ever get implemented in anything in like today's game, but it was a lot of fun to be a part of. And I think, you know, especially for the TBT, they got something really good going. And I think for the Wolfblood team, 
it'll definitely pick up the following year. And silly fouls and things like that, like at the end with that slow down the game, I think it kind of yep. helps eliminate that. That's something I, I liked about it as well. Well, and that's so. the thing. I, I remember specifically um, I picked up a foul, and it, it turns into I think it's two shots in ball if you're in the bonus. So you as a defender now, you have to play really smart because if you foul, they get two shots and the ball. So there's yeah. there's a lot of little kind of quirky things that you got to be mindful of. Um because I actually didn't really know that when I fouled. Because everybody's <laughs> looking at me like, what are you doing? It's like, I, I, I didn't know that part. Um, luckily, <laughs> I, I think he made one guys. free throw and they didn't score. So it didn't hurt us too much. But it is, I mean, it's eight points. It, it, it matters so much more because you're not playing the clock. You yeah. know, you're playing that number. Yeah. So um, it is. It's a lot of fun. And I, and I anticipate, you know, Wolf Blood to have some really good teams here in the future. Awesome. I, I like the Elam ending. I'm I'm all for it. Uh, I don't like how a last minute of a game can take 30 minutes. It feels like right. With all the balance. <laughs> well, and two. I mean, you got yeah. a team that's down two, but they're three away from the Elam ending, mm -hmm. and they. I'm I'm shooting a three. Like yeah. yeah. I, I, I was talking <laughs> yeah. with Juice who coached us, and I point blank told him I said, "Look, if we're down, if we're down two, and we need three for the Elam ending, just I'm just gonna run around until I get one off. Like I'm just mm -hmm. telling you." There's no Absolutely. point going back and playing defense. We're just going to end it now. So it is. It's unique. It's a lot of fun, and and you you're you're guaranteed a game winner. So for sure. Well, thank you so much for for joining us. I, I know you're uh, you know busy for the week, and I, we appreciate your time. And um, you know we'll see what the Wolfpack end up doing uh, this this uh, year uh, as they're coming up on a pretty interesting year in college basketball. Scott Wood, thank you so much. Thank you guys. Take care. All right, we want to thank Scott Wood for taking some time out. Uh, for those who are watching, you noticed that he was in his car doing this. Yeah. He was uh, about to go into a restaurant, took some time uh, to speak to us, and in the middle of nowhere. He's, like, in the country right now. So yeah. uh, I'm glad that his service held up as well yeah. for everybody. Yeah, somewhere off the Pamlico River he was. <laughs> we, won't, we won't say specifically, but he was somewhere out there. We'll, we'll, let you, we'll let people try and track him down if they want to. Uh, but yeah, it was a fun conversation with Scott, and – um, I it was really kind of cool hearing about a little bit about his experience playing overseas and mm -hmm. you know how he's they were good experiences because we talk here from some people you hear nightmare stories about about playing in, in different countries and stuff and then it just it was nice to hear that he had great experiences overall during his time overseas but we talked about something Chris yep there's something called the TBT, the basketball tournament, which I think is just a phenomenal name. It's simple to the point. It's the basketball tournament. And uh, I love it. It's been the highlight of my summer for like the last three summers. I love the, the TBT. For those who don't know, the TBT is this a, a collection of players who are no longer professional. You can't be under a professional contract with any team in any league. But it's a collection of players that play be, in this. You could be overseas. Okay, yeah, you can, you can be overseas. You can be overseas, but you can't be like in the NBA G League or something along those lines. Right. But this tournament is a collection of teams where it's a million-dollar winner-take-all. If you win the whole thing, million bucks. You split it amongst your team how you want. Uh, if you don't win, uh, thanks for playing. Uh, that's that's really what it is, and it's on ESPN. It's it's actually it's, it really is a lot of fun if you just like basketball, maybe watching some some players you used to enjoy in college like a Scott Wood and some other yeah. NC state, you know, former NC state basketball players, but they use something Chris called the Elam ending. Mm -hmm. And I want you to explain what the Elam ending is. Cause we did talk about it, but I really like it. Yeah. So for those who heard us talk about it and wondering what it is, so we we've got it for you. So here's what happened. So 
you're going to have your regular 12 minute quarters, right? But when in the fourth quarter, the first dead ball under four minutes remaining in the game, the clock is then turned off. So it could be at, at 359. It could be at, you know, 230, just whenever the first dead ball happens uh, at under eight minutes, under four minutes, excuse me, uh, the clock is then turned off. Then eight is added to the team score who has the highest um, you know, score at that point. So if the score is 70 to 64, when the game clock is shut off, then you add eight to that. So the target score to win for either team is 78. So if you have 64 points, you have to score 14 to win. If you have 70 points, you have to score eight to win. Um, and so whoever gets to that first is the winner. If a team commits a foul while in the bonus uh, during the Elam ending portion of the game, the other team will get uh, one free throw and retain possession of the ball uh, rather than two free throws. So that was something that Scott was talking about, and we got the actual um, you know, rules behind that. And so that's why it's important to not foul. So it's a different way to end the game instead of just the hack-a-shack thing where you're just kind of fouling at the end of the game, trying to slow down the game and, and hopefully you know, trying to um, elongate it for the team that is down. Now you really, you really have to play. You can't do that. You got to play real defense. You can't just foul your way away and you have to actually like score during that time. Yeah. It, yeah. You can't just take the air out of the ball and you know hold for these long possessions and things like that. Cause yeah, you still have to score. I will say the one thing about basketball that I do not like both pro and college is how the last minute or so of a game can take a half hour, if not longer to play sure. because that fouls all these timeouts and just, I'm like, stop like to me i think you should you only should be allowed to have one timeout the last minute of the game that's it you get one timeout that's it that's it like I, let's i don't know why we're so one of the reasons why i like the elam ending is because it is different i don't know why in sports we're so and even just in general we're so hesitant to change and try new things it's like you know what let's try it if we don't like it okay we can always go back to what was you don't have to make things permanent for forever there's no reason why we can't explore these different options when it comes to deciding winners of games or just how games operate towards the end. I, it just, the one thing about again, basketball, I don't like is that the final minute or so can just take so darn long. It takes longer than the rest of the game to be played. So I'm, I'm split on that uh, because I do agree with you in one sense, but in the other sense, if we got rid of that, then the 2020 ending to the Duke and Carolina game at Carolina would have never happened, right? Yeah, and sure. and it's it's one of those like that was such a classic game how that happened. Um and I was there in person covering that game for WXI. I was right before I was leaving WXI to come to uh WREL. Mm-hmm. And you know, just Duke was down, had no business in that game. Uh they did exactly what you said. They slowed it down, but um they ended up it ended up being a pretty exciting finish because Duke ends up tying it up. You know, we all remember you know, the purposely missed free throw from Trey, Trey Jones gets the ball rebound, hits the shot, ties it up. We go to overtime. Um, and then Duke then again falls behind, is able to catch back up. And then it's Wendell Moore, who I think Trey Jones was shooting it and it was like going to be an air ball. Wendell Moore is there to catch it, lay it up for the win. And it's like you don't get that. But Every game isn't that when you slow down the, the, the game. Sometimes it's just a boring into the game with yeah. two random teams you don't care for on a Tuesday night and you're on deadline and you just need to get out of there. So yeah. I, I do get you from, from that sense. 
there are way more of those games than you are talking about the <laughs> Carolina Duke ending. Way more. True. Here's my thing. Very true. That Duke Carolina ending is as fantastic and as fun as it was. That's the exception. Okay. That's the and exception. It still took that's like an hour. Cool. Exactly. Like the, from from like the last four minutes of the second half to the it took like an hour. It's it, for like I nine know. minutes of game time. <laughs> oh, gosh. It's just whereas like the other like what 36 minutes of game time took an hour. <laughs> you know, that's my point. It's hour like, and a half, hour and a half. If, if that, but that's my point is that it takes so long. And like, oh, I, I, so I, I, I'll, I'll turn on to a basketball game late in the last like two minutes. And if it's close, it's like, all right, I'm going to go take a shower. Cause I know I'm going to come back and not miss anything because there's still going to be 30 seconds on the clock after I take this shower. It's yeah. just, I, I don't like it. I, <laughs> again, I don't know why we are so hesitant to try something different. Let's try something football. Let's try something different when it comes to onsides. Let's try something like in hockey, they ex- they're exploring some different stuff. Baseball, like this this season, they in, in extra innings, they put the runner on second base during the regular season. And people are like, oh, God, no, this isn't baseball. Well, why not? There's a runner on second base. What's, what's not baseball about a runner on second base? I, th- that's my thing. I just, I, so many people are just hesitant. It's like, well, it's always what we've done. Why? Like, why can't we try and do something different? I like the second base runner idea. Um, yeah. for as far as baseball is concerned, here's something though. I, I think the NFL should take a page from the XFL if the XFL never comes back, mm-hmm. because one of the things I really, really loved about the XFL, um, that we only saw for a little bit, it feels like the NFL is slowly but surely taking the kickoff out of the game and I, and I love yeah. the idea of the kickoff and the XFL however you had one team kind of lining up I want to say uh, I can't remember exactly what it, where it was but at the Obviously, 25 line. yeah something like that yeah and then the other teams lined up at the 35 so you're 10 yards away from each other but the kicker is way back there kicking off at the 30 or 25 where he's kicking off from and the returner is behind his team so then you have 10 versus 10 and if you are blocking that correctly within 10 you know, uh, yards, then that person can still break one and go for uh, a touchdown. So it's still possible, but you also eliminate you know, the crazy collisions where somebody's running 50 yards and colliding into somebody. Yeah, um, and, or or you know, if that doesn't happen, then you have safer tackles. Uh, in that. And I think that's something that the NFL definitely should look at. Because that was one of the innovations of the XFL. I was like, okay, I really like that. It really solves the problem of we don't want these crazy collisions anymore, um, but we still want to have kickoffs because that is an important part of the game. It's almost kind of like, you know, like special teams. Would you take special teams out of the NHL? No. That's a very important part of the team. You need special teams in the NFL as well. Uh, Yeah, exactly. I'm with you. Again, that was trying something different. And, the XFL did it, and it, and it honestly it worked. I it liked worked. it. I think a lot of people liked it. Yeah. So why not explore things? That's that's just my whole thing. Why not try it? You know what? And you can use, like for example, the NHL went with shootouts. They're so tired of ties and teams playing for ties. Okay, we're gonna put a shootout. Let's get that. Make sure a team we have a winner at the end of the night, which I I'm okay with that. I like the three on three overtime concept as yeah, well because exactly. it opens up the ice for more oh, to happen too. And, and I think we saw that, uh, especially last year, there were so many more overtime games that seemed mm-hmm. to, I think we, I don't, I don't know. I don't have the, uh, the data in front of us, but I, I feel like we had less ties 
uh, to end the game. And overtimes didn't take as long because yeah. you put three on three out there. You don't have uh, the extra defenders or whatever. So, you know, one person's lagging on defense. That can be a goal within seconds. And we saw that plenty of times, especially with the Carolina Hurricanes. Oh, they, yeah. They would get teams easily off of that overtime. Well, yeah, so it, it's, it works both ways. Like, okay, you have a two-on-one and that three-on-three. Three. Well, if you miss it and the other team gets the puck, it's two-on-one coming right back yep. at you. And it could yep. be a goal coming right back. But, again, that it's exciting. It's fun. They're, it's different. And overtime hockey in the NHL, at least regular season, is a lot of fun. The playoffs, they keep it still five-on-five five like normal, and it's its own yep. separate beast, and it's still entertaining. But, again, yep. they do something different in the regular season. I'm okay with both. Just give me a winner. Like it just keep the game moving. You know, here's one thing I will say, like with soccer, for example, I don't like how there are a lot of, I'm sorry, draws in soccer. I want to make sure you use proper terminology here for, for our <laughs> football folks is I don't like how there's so many draws, but I know at the end of the day, I know exactly how long that game's going to take. And I love it. It's like, it's 90 NBA, minutes. The NBA was trying different rules with the, um, with the D league G league, excuse me, last year. Um, and I think they had it to where, like, something I, – I, I'm going to have this wrong. I'm going to botch this. I already know. But if you're fouled on a three, mm-hmm. I think you still only get, like, the one free throw. Yeah. Uh, and, and but it then, counts for three points. Yeah. I don't know if I like that, though. I, I don't like that either. I don't like that one. Um, You know, that was, like, you know, good for them for trying something out and trying to be innovative in something. Um, I do think they have an opportunity with the Elam ending uh, to maybe try it out in the G League, see if that works. And then maybe that could be a regular season thing, uh, but give us, you know, just a normal ending for, you know, uh, the playoffs. Because I, the the part about the NBA, the playoffs are never boring. Like I can watch first round through, you know, the championship round. And, and that's amazing. The problem with the NBA is after opening night and if it's not Christmas, if it's not yeah. the all-star weekend and if it's not like the end of the regular season, it's hard to care. Yeah. It's, it's really hard to care because really we're starting to get into that point to where we're going to have this Thursday night game between maybe the Timberwolves and let's say like the Spurs, you know, if that is your marquee game for the night on ESPN, I'm probably go. not going to watch. That's me. <laughs> Don't care. <laughs> Don't care. So I definitely think the NBA should do something to, to make us care during a regular season. So uh, they've been talking about it. They've been talking about potentially doing a midseason tournament and things like that. There's some things that people don't like. I wouldn't mind a midseason tournament, you know, especially if it if you're playing for like, uh, you know, whoever wins the midseason tournament gets an automatic bid to the playoffs no matter what or something like that. I did like the play-in tournament. I thought that was cool last year too. Some people didn't like it, but – you know, I like the innovation that the NBA is trying to show right now. I'm okay with it. Try different. It's okay to try yeah. and do things differently. There's nothing wrong with it. Because, again, if it doesn't work, you can always go back to what you're doing. It's not that hard. Dennis, you can try different and um, actually drink a smoothie one day. Maybe even have a vegan burger. I've had one. You made it for me. Yeah, but every time you get a burger, maybe just – Make sure it's vegan so that Mother Earth is happy. Thank you guys for listening to the Culture State Podcast. (laughs) I'm Chris Lee. Make sure you give us five stars on that rating. 
for this episode and for other episodes. We love you so much. And when the pandemic is over, we're going to give you a hug if we see you out there. I'm Chris Lee. That is Dennis Cox. Follow us on social media. I am at Chris Lee TV on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at the fan rookie also on Twitter and Instagram. Also make sure you give our sponsor Papa Murphy's pizza a follow at Papa Murphy's pizza again, every Tuesday, 1099 large pizzas change the way you pizza. Absolutely. Did you, did you want to retort? It looked like you were going to retort to him. No, no, it's fine, Chris. I will. We'll just leave it there. You know, Papa Murphy's even said it. Change the way you pizza. <laughs> so we're talking about changes. Ch-ch-ch-changes. Race. <laughs> See y'all. The Culture State Podcast, part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network, with new shows coming out every Wednesday. Download and subscribe from wherever you get your podcasts, including the WREL Sports Fan app.